If you have your Bible before you this morning, we're turning to the Gospel according to Luke. And to chapter 5, please. Luke's Gospel, chapter 5. And we're reading a few verses together at the end of the chapter. Luke's Gospel, chapter 5. And once you find the place, we're just going to bow in another moment of prayer. And you ask the Lord to speak to your heart today. It's a wonderful thing to be able to come into the presence of God. But it's a wonderful thing to hear His voice. And the Bible tells us that they that have ears to hear, let us hear what the Spirit has to say. And the thing that I have been exercised over in recent days is many of us, we come to church to hear about God. But very, very few of us ever come to meet God. And I would encourage you, even as we bow in a moment of prayer this morning, as you ask the Lord to meet with you. Because every time that you read in the Bible that individuals met with God, there was a turning point in their life. That we not only would hear something about Him, but that we would meet Him. And so we're going to just bow in a moment of prayer, and you ask the Lord to come and minister to your own heart today. Father, we bow before Thee this morning. And we thank you, Lord, for the Word of God. We thank you for this Word that is before us this morning, this Word that is forever settled in heaven. And we pray that you will come by the power of your Holy Spirit. We ask that you will just come, Lord, and illuminate your Word to our hearts. We pray that you would give us ears to hear. We pray that you will come, Lord, and like Jacob, as he was there, on the mountainside, and God met with them, and he called that place Bethel. We pray that this house this morning will be indeed a Bethel. And then, Lord, later on in his life, as he was there by the brook, and down by Peniel, there he met with God again. And we pray today, whatever the needs may be, Lord, oh, we cry, that men and women will meet afresh with God, and that you will come. We come against all of the opposition, Lord, that would rise against your word. We come against, Lord, every device of the enemy this morning in Jesus' precious name. And we pray that you will just settle us in your presence. We pray that you will just hedge, Lord, us in this morning. And we pray against every diversion. We pray against every distraction. We pray that you will come and the Holy Spirit will move and illuminate the word of God. Lord, I need your help today. I need that fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. I need, Lord, that fresh oil from heaven. And I pray, even as we've been singing this morning, O oh, empty that thou mightest fill me, a clean vessel in thy hand. We pray today, Lord, that you will come. And Lord, that Christ would be conformed in all of our lives, that the Lord Jesus Christ would radiate from every single one of us. Bless us now, we pray. We ask it in the Saviour's name. Amen. Luke's Gospel, chapter 5, please, and commencing to read at verse 36. And he, that's the Lord Jesus, he spake also a parable unto them. No man putteth a piece of new garment upon an old. If otherwise then both the new maketh a rent and the piece that was taken out of the new garment agreeeth not with the old. And no man putteth new wine into old bottles, else the new wine will burst the bottles and be spilled, 
and the bottles shall perish. But new wine must be put into new bottles, and both are preserved. No man also, having drunken old wine straightway, desireth the new. For he saith, the old is better. And we know the Lord will add his blessing to the reading of his word. I want to bring your attention this morning to these parables that many of us maybe this morning have never really thought much about. We know about the parable of the sower. We, we know about the parable of the mustard seed. We know about the parables that the Lord Jesus spoke again and again, the parable of the prodigal, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the lost sheep. And on and on we could go, but I want to direct your attention for a moment or two this morning to these parables that the Lord Jesus brought before the Pharisees and the religious leaders of his day. I would encourage you sometime to go through Luke's Gospel, and especially this chapter, because whenever you read chapter 5 and get the setting, and then you put these lovely parables into it, the whole thing just comes alive. And I trust this morning that your Bible to you is a living book. I trust the Word of God to you is a, a Word that grips and captivates your heart. The Apostle said that the Word of the Lord is a living Word. And we need to know what it is to glean the truths of the Word of God for our own soul. The Lord Jesus is walking and he stops one day and he sees Matthew or Levi. He's a publican. He's sitting at his table. He's there collecting money. And he calls to this man. If you cast your eye to verse 27, he said, follow me. Just two words he gave to Matthew. And verse 28 it says, and he left all, arose up and followed him. And I trust this morning that every single one of us are living in the good of following the Lord. I trust that you and I today that are saved, we don't have a Christianity that is out of date. I trust that you are in date with God and that you are in step with him. I don't know about you, but there's many times whenever I go to the fridge and I've wet my appetite, maybe it's for a bit of bacon or a few sausages, and then you go and you open the fridge and you see it's out of date. It's no good. And you know, my dear people, this morning, you and I as believers, we need to be in date. We need to be up to date with our walk with God. Not out of date, not out of step, but to be in tune with him. And Matthew, this man, he left all and followed the Lord Jesus. Just two words. He didn't hear a sermon. He didn't receive a gospel tract. He didn't hear a message on consecration or surrender. All he heard was two words from the lips of the Master. Follow me. And Matthew rose and he left all that he had. And then Matthew, if you read the chapter, what he does is he gets a big feast in his home. He brings all his friends and all of the publicans and all of the sinners into his home. And the Pharisees and the scribes, they stand at the door. And you know what they do? They begin to murmur. And the word that's used here in Matthew, Luke's Gospel, chapter 5, is the word to grumble. And I'm sure every single one of us, we know what it is to grumble. Maybe you parents, you grumble against their children. Maybe the wives, you grumble against your husband. And on and on we could go. We at times are prone to being grumblers. Well, that's exactly what the Pharisees and scribes were like. You read through the Gospels and you'll discover that the one thing that they delighted to do was to find fault 
with the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything that he did, they scrutinized it. Everything and everywhere he went and every word that he said, they always were watching it. And in Matthew, Mark's Gospel, chapter 7, it says they sought to find fault. And you know, whenever they couldn't find fault with the Lord Jesus, they turned their guns upon his disciples. And that happens to us. The world can't find fault with the Lord Jesus. In fact, the Lord Jesus said, The prince of this world cometh, and he findeth nothing in me. The atheist and the agnostic can't even find anything wrong with the Lord Jesus, but they can find plenty wrong with you and me. And that's what they did time and time again. The Pharisees and scribes, when they couldn't find fault with him, they turned their sights and they turned their gaze upon the disciples. You know, Pilate couldn't find any fault with them. The thief on the cross could find no fault with the blessed Son of God. The temple police that one day was sent to arrest them, they said, never man spake like this man. But you know, while the world looks at us, with our inconsistency and with our blemishes and with our shortcomings, again and again and again, I can tell you the world can find fault with us. They find fault with their feasting and then with their fasting. I haven't got time to go into that this morning because time's going to go against me. I want to talk to you about the parable of the coat and the parable of the container. Just two things that the Lord Jesus brought to these Pharisees and scribes. And one of the things that the Pharisees and scribes always wanted to do is they wanted to bring the disciples of the Lord Jesus under their tradition. They always wanted to bring the disciples of the Lord Jesus in line with what they held to. They wanted men and women to carry the burdens that they placed upon them. And you know, my dear people, this morning it was Bishop Ryle, that godly man, that bishop of Liverpool many years ago, he said that there's a lesson for not only parents to learn, but ministers to learn, and indeed for every believer to learn, that whenever we're dealing with young converts, always remember it takes them time to mature. It always takes time. And you and I that are saved, and maybe been saved for 10, 15, 20 years, just look at how long it has taken us to mature in the things of God. And so often we can see a young believer, and they get saved, whether out of drink or drugs or some other sin, and we automatically want them to just look like us and to sound like us and to do what we do. And that convicts my own heart, because so often we have perimeters and boundaries in our life. Now, I'm not talking about principles that are found in the Bible because everyone, no matter how long you're saved, they always need to obey the Word. But what I'm saying is the Pharisees and scribes, they added to the Word of God. They had their own traditions. They had their own ideas. They fasted twice in the week. They prayed. They gave tithes of all that they had. And whenever the disciples began to follow the Lord Jesus, they couldn't understand why they were not following the status quo. You know, Vance Havner, that great man of a bygone day, he said that the happiest person that you'll ever meet is a young convert until they meet a theologian. And it's true. Whenever you look back and you see that moment that you were saved and the burden of sin was lifted and you came into a living, vital, vibrant relationship with God and everything seemed to be new. 
My, there seemed to be that freshness in her soul. And then you met someone and they said, well, Matthew's gospel is not for you. It's only written to the Jew. And you say, well, I've been reading Matthew's gospel. I thought God was speaking to me. And then you start to read the Bible and you say, God spoke to me about that. And then the theologian will come and say, but oh, that's not for you today. Let me tell you, my dear people, from Genesis to Revelation, every jot and every word and every tittle of this book, God can apply it to my life and to your life. God speaks to us through his word. It is the living word of God. And that's why I'm encouraging you to get alone with God. Get alone and say, Lord, speak to me. Lord, open your word to me. And these men, these Pharisees and scribes, and the Lord Jesus actually said that you place burdens upon believers that you don't even touch with your finger. He says that you lay burdens upon men and women, he says, that are not even able to be born yourself. And you know, I know today it's different from Judaism, but even in the evangelical Protestant church, fundamental church, so often we have a criteria in our mind of what a Christian looks like, and what they sound like, and what they do. And I know we're meant to be different from the world, but I want to encourage you. If you ever come across a young convert, always encourage them. Always get behind them and always encourage them and get them along the road. And it's a thing that I am learning more and more every day, that you do more by encouraging God's people than by driving them. I'm learning that. And maybe some of you this morning are saying, well, it took you a long time to learn it. But I believe that you'll do more with a pot of honey. You'll catch more flies with a pot of honey than you will with a fly swab. And whenever you and I have a Christianity about us that is attractive, whenever you and I are on fire for God and living in the blessing of God, my dear people, it will attract people to us. It will attract the ungodly to us. It will attract the men and women that are in need of a vital relationship with God. They'll say, that man, that woman has something that I want and I need it. But the Pharisees and scribes were different. They had their boundaries. They had their perimeters. And they wanted everybody just to fall in line with that. And in the context of that wonderful truth, the Lord Jesus Christ in verse 36, he said this. He said, No man putteth a piece of new garment upon an old. Now I know some of you men here this morning, you'll have an old boiler suit at home, and you'll have the oil and the, the dirt on it, and you've worn it, and it's soft, it's easy to tear. Whenever you're out working and that cloth becomes easy, easy to rip, it's been worn, it's really worn out. And if you ever tear it in a bit of barbed wire fence and you bring it home to your wife and you say, I want you to patch it, well, the wisest thing that she could do is not patch it up with a piece of new cloth. Because that new cloth is rigid, it's hard. And what happens was whenever the, the new cloth went on to the old, it, it didn't agree. The new cloth was stiff. The new cloth was firm, there was a strength about it, but the old garment, it was worn, it was crinkled, it was creased. And what would happen if that patch was sewn in? You know what would happen? The tear would be made worse. The old would rip as well as the new. And that's exactly what the Lord Jesus turned and said to the Pharisees. You know what he was saying? He was saying, you see you men, you see the Judaistic system? It's just like the old coat, it's all worn out. All of the offerings and all of the altars and all of the lavers, 
All of the ceremonial laws, they have served their purpose, but now they're just like an old garment. They're worn out. And the Lord Jesus Christ didn't come to patch up the Judea system. He come to put a new garment upon his people. He comes to do a complete work. And you think of those Pharisees now. Imagine someone came to you and said, everything that you're doing as a Christian is going to change from today on. I don't think there's any of us would accept it, and I know it can't happen. But that's exactly the way these Pharisees were. They were meticulous in the Word of God. And some Sunday morning, I'm going to preach on them. They went to a Bible study four nights in the week. They fasted and prayed every day. They read their Bibles. They were fundamental in the truth. They held to the ceremonial law, the political law, the moral law. They were as clean as a hound's tooth. And the Lord Jesus said, accept your righteousness, exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees. You'll not even get into heaven. And the Lord Jesus looked at the Pharisees and he said, man, by the way, what you're holding to, it had its purpose and it served its purpose, but it's just like an old worn out garment and I'm not going to patch it up. Because the offerings were always going to be replaced by the once and for all sacrifice. All of the altars and all the blood that was shed by bulls and Jewish altars were going to be replaced by the Lamb of God that was going to come and take away sin by the sacrifice of himself. The old dispensation of the law was going to be replaced by the dispensation of grace. All of the outward show and all of the outward formality was going to be replaced by a new, new and a living way where men and women can come into the very presence of God instead of the high priest on one day of the year coming into the Holy of Holies. He says, I'm going to open it up that every believer can come into the presence of God every day as long as they want. He says, I'm going to remove the old. And they couldn't accept it. They didn't want that. And if you cast your eye to the very last few words of the chapter in verse 39, the old is better. That was the language of the Pharisees. They didn't really want the Lord Jesus changing anything. They were happy with their ceremonies. They were happy with their 613 commandments. They were happy with their formality. They were happy with the priesthood. They were happy with their formality of the day. They were just happy with their religion. They didn't want anything new. You know, we're just the same. So many of us, we don't like change. And someone has said, just to find out how hard religion and tradition is to break, try something new till you see. And it's true. And I'm as guilty as anyone else. The Lord Jesus Christ said concerning himself that he has come, the one who has come, all of the, all of the types were going to be replaced by the antitype, all of the shadows. And sometimes we sing it around the table, not all the blood of bulls and Jewish altars slain could give one guilty conscience peace or wipe away the stain. But Christ, the heavenly lamb, takes all our sins away, a sacrifice of richer name and nobler blood than they. He said, man, all of the offerings are going to be replaced. I'm going to go to the cross and what they could not do, I'm going to do by the sacrifice of myself. What a man. Now that's the interpretation. He said the Judaic system, all of the moral laws, all of the commandments of, that are set out before you on the alterings and the labor, all of that is just like an old worn out garment. It's the thing for tomorrow. And I'm going to replace it by the new. The new in the living way. 
But there's not only the interpretation, there's an application. Because I can tell you, my dear people, that's what I'm after this morning. How does this apply to our heart? How high is it that you and I can glean some wonderful truths from the old garment? Well, I can give you some of them this morning. And that is, if you cast your eye there to the end of verse 36, the new agreeeth not with the old. And there's some things that you and I as believers that have come into a new relationship with the Lord Jesus. We've had a new birth. We get a new song. We come into a new family. Old things pass away and all things become new. A wonderful experience whenever we're born again. But I can tell you there's things that you and I can't agree with. The old does not agree with the new. And just like that new patch going on to an old coat, it didn't agree. There was, there was a, a resistance. There was always going to be a tear that was going to be made worse. My dear people, as the people of God, always remember this, that there's things that you and I can't agree with. The old doesn't agree with the new. I can tell you the, the church will never agree with the world. It'll never happen. The world out there today hates the church. It hates the Lord Jesus Christ. And you and I as the people of God can never agree with the world. Whenever they tell us that the world came into being by a bang, I'm sorry, but I can't agree with that. Whenever they tell us that the world is millions and billions of years old and you came from a frog and then to a jellyfish and then you came to where you are today, I'm sorry, but I can't agree with that. I believe that the Word of God says in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. I can't agree with the world whenever they say that this Bible is outdated. I don't agree with them whenever they say it was just men and they had imagination and they paint things down here and there. And it's not really inspired, it's just men's imagination. I'm sorry, but I can't agree with that. Because this Bible, this word that we have before us, is not the word of men, it's the word of the living God. From Genesis to Revelation. I'm sorry, but I can't agree with the world whenever they say that the Lord Jesus Christ was just a teacher. I can't agree with them whenever they say he was just a good man. I'm sorry, but I can't agree with that because he was God manifest in the flesh. I'm sorry, but I can't agree with whenever the president of the Methodist Conference, he said that the Lord Jesus was an illegitimate child to Zechariah. I don't agree with that. I tell you, the Lord Jesus was a sinless, spotless Lamb of God. He's holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners. I don't agree with the world, and we can never agree with the world. I can tell you this morning on many things that they would bring against the blessed Son of God. We can't agree with them whenever they say that there is no power in the blood. I don't agree with them whenever they talk about a slaughterhouse gospel. I don't agree with them whenever they say there's no power in the blood to save and deliver. I'm sorry, but I can't agree with that because we sing it. Most prayer meetings here, there's power, wonder-working power in the blood. Power to snap the fetters, power to change the life, power to deliver the soul, and on and on we could go. I'm sorry, I can't agree with the world in that. I can't agree with them whenever they say death is the end. Whenever you die, you die like a dog or a bird in the tree or a fish in the sea. Whenever you die and are cremated or buried, that's really it. I'm sorry, but I can't agree with that because the Bible says it is appointed unto man once to die and after this to judgment. I can't agree with the world when they say that there's no heaven and no hell because the Lord Jesus spoke more about hell than he did of heaven. There's many things that we can't agree with the world on today. And that's an application to our own heart. Oh, my dear people, 
I tell you, there's things that you and I can never, never agree with. You see that word agree there in the end of verse 36? It's the old Greek word symphonio. It's the word where we get our English word harmony or symphony. And I can tell you the church of Jesus Christ will never be in harmony with the world. We're called out of the world. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. We're a different group of people. The Bible says that we're a peculiar people. And that's why the people of God, we ought to be different. We ought to walk different, talk different, be different in the eyes of the world. We're called out of darkness and the light. What a wonderful thing. And I trust this morning as a believer that you're free. I trust that the Lord Jesus, that moment that he saved you and cleansed you and sanctified you, I trust this morning you're living in the good of that even today. That's not an out-of-date Christianity. But he walks with me and he talks with me along life's narrow way. There's things that you and I can't agree with. But not only are we not to agree with them, I tell you we're meant to be against them. Six times in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul uses the word against. And I think it would be a wonderful thing in the evangelical church in Northern Ireland and indeed in the West that the world would begin to know again what we're against. What we're against. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and the rulers of the darkness of this world to be against them. The Bible says that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness of men. The world this afternoon is looking upon us and they say, well, there's the church of Jesus Christ. I wonder what they're against. Well, my dear people, I want to tell you we ought to be against the enemy. We ought to wrestle against the foe, against the powers and the rulers of the darkness, and that's why the best place where you can be tomorrow morning is on your knees before you go to work. The best place that you could be in Monday night and Wednesday night is in the place of prayer, wrestling the enemy and say, Lord, I want to be against the devil. I want to come against him. The world can never agree with the church. It never will. I'll tell you another thing it can't agree. Spirituality will never agree with carnality. In every assembly, it's the same. The lifeboat's no different. You'll have a group of believers and a group of them will be carnal and some of them will be spiritual. And you always have that contrast and every church is the same. You'll have those that really want to obey God, whatever the cost. You'll have those that are really going through whatever God tells them to do. They're willing to say, Lord, whatever it is, I'll do it. I want to obey the word. I want to get behind the meetings. I want to go through. I want to be in fire for God. And they're spiritual people. But then you get a group of believers and they're described as carnal people. Oh, they're saved and they're on their way to heaven and they have the Holy Spirit. But they really have no desire for God. Maybe even this morning as they're in the house of God, their mind is going to work and maybe going to the kettle and maybe going to the holidays and maybe going to plans and desires that they're going to do during the week and they really don't have any desire for God. Well, spirituality and carnality, they never can agree. You'll always have that pull. I'll tell you something as an elder of this assembly. Very, very rarely do we have any bother with anybody that really wants to go through with God. I remember a man saying to me years ago, he said, Stephen, you'll never have any bother from people that have a second touch of God upon their life. It's true. And carnality and spirituality, 
They never agree. That's why in the church at Corinth, the first thing that Paul talked to them about was division. You're divided. They couldn't agree. And spirituality and carnality will always pull. There'll be those that want the prayer meetings and there'll be those that want barbecues. There'll be those that want to spend the day with God and get a Bible study in a convention. And there'll be those that'll look to go to the park and the swings with their children. Always that contrast. And I wonder what contrast you're in today. You see, I can tell you that the Lord Jesus, Paul said in Romans 8, that the carnal mind is enmity against God. How can two, he must said, walk together except they be agreed? And I have heard people even in this assembly and they say, oh, they pray too much. They sing too much around the table. They talk too much about the blood and they preach too much on surrender and holiness. You know what that tells me? It's just carnality. It's carnality. And they'll never agree. My dear people, the preacher will never preach a sermon that will agree with carnality. He'll never do it. Unless he wants to rock you to sleep. I'll tell you another thing that will not agree. Is that is the flesh and the spirit. The new man and the old. That moment that you and I got saved, the Holy Spirit came into our life. And Paul talks about the new man and the old man. And he says in Galatians here that the flesh warreth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And they are contrary one to another. Now, I'm sure you know about the battle in your own mind, and as you want to go on with God, you'll say to yourself there, my, I'm really seeking God today, and then suddenly the old man will rise in your heart, and there'll be thoughts that will penetrate your mind, and you'll say, I don't want to read, and I don't want to pray, and the old man will just resurrect, and that battle will always be there, but I thank God this morning, I believe in a gospel that can give us victory over the old man. I believe that with all of my heart. I believe that. I believe, and I was saying to the young people, and you reminded me about it the other morning, whenever the plane is on the runway, and all of the gravity is holding that plane down, and all of the great wings and the turbines and the pilot still just held down to the runway, and then whenever the pilot gets in, and he turns a few levers and hits a few knobs, and he pushes the thing forward, and the thrust begins to build, and those turbines begin to work. What she does is she moves, she taxis down the runway, and then there's a moment, and she just takes off. And gravity is still pulling her down, still pulling the plane down, but there's a power that overrides the force of gravity, a power that can make us rise above sin. And that's why Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he said, thanks be unto God that giveth us the victory. And he couldn't even wait to the end of his letter, the second letter to the church at Corinth, because in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, he said, oh, God always causes us to triumph in Christ Jesus. My dear people, and so many of us have the Christian experience of just staying on the runway. Oh, we have our Bible and we have our church and we have our profession and we have our daily readings, but the old man is still holding us down. But God, I can tell you through the power of the Holy Spirit, can enable us and give us victory over sin. Thank God for the blessed victory. Thank God for being able to rise and to live the victorious Christian life where there's more ups and downs. 
And many of us, we live a life where there's more downs and ups and we're down and then we get up and then we're down again. And I was talking to a man the other day and he says, I'm up on a Sunday and I'm up on a Monday and then I'm down on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. My dear people, whenever the Holy Spirit comes in as we see and the power that he has, not our own power, not our own fleshly ability, but he takes over, that he begins to move through, that he animates and he fills and he endures, and the power of the Holy Spirit lives and radiates through us. My dear people, what will happen? You'll start to rise. You'll start to rise. You'll start to gain ground with God. And there may be the occasional down. And there may be the occasional time when you'll hit turbulence in your life. But there'll always be that place, my dear people, where we can live above sin. And as I have often said, we're never sinless. But God can enable us to sin less. I wonder, is that your desire? That is my desire. I pray that every day. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. You know, some people have said it about me and definitely about her brother Bertie. We never encourage the people. My dear people, I, I trust this morning that we do. But I will never stand on a pulpit and tell you to stay where you are. I'll never do that. I will always encourage you to go higher with God, no matter how well you know him, get to know him more. No matter how much of the Bible you know, get to know it more. No matter how much my, you spend with God and how, how real he is, always go for more. Climb higher with God. Never aim for a plateau. Never aim just to slack off the pressure. Never stay where you are with God. Always go higher and higher. Higher up the mountain. I trust even this morning that will strike a chord in your heart. Go higher. Oh, young man, go higher. Mother, with all of the battles and all of the chores of life with the young children, go higher, go higher. Don't stay where you are, go higher. Aim for more of God. Pray, Lord, give me an appetite for you. Lord, give me a thirst for the things of God. I want to know you more, Lord. The things of this world no longer satisfy. Lord, I thank you for all of the temporal blessings. But Lord, I want to get to know you. I want to be absorbed in your presence. I want you to come and fill and animate me. Oh, my dear people, that's first century Christianity. Maybe you're saying this morning, like the days of the Lord Jesus, we've heard strange things today. But oh, we become so anemic in our preaching. We become so anemic in our standard of Christianity that we live like the world. We look like the world. We smell like the world. We're really no different. Only on a Sunday. But oh, I thank God for those of us here and you, my dear people here, that are going higher. Go higher. Go higher. Go higher with God. Go higher. No matter how old you are, God has more of himself to reveal to you. No matter how long you've been saved, there's more that he wants to give you. And one of the verses that God has really pricked in my heart is in John 16. Read it whenever you go home. And the Lord Jesus is in the upper room and he's just about to go out and be betrayed by Judas. And he turned to his disciples and this is what he said. I have many things to tell you, but you're not able to bear them now. And there's many of us, God has some things that he wants to tell us. There's secrets of his own heart that he wants to share with us. And the secret of the Lord is with them that fear him. And he has so much to give us and so much he wants to communicate into our lives. There's so much he wants to do with us. But he says, I have many things to tell you, but you're not able to bear them now. Oh, that we would grow with God, that we would mature. My dear people, mature with God. Go through, go through. Oh, go through. I know no, of no, nothing better. I know of nothing greater than to go through with God. 
Whenever it's not just theology and it's not just textbook theology, it's not just ABC and we put God into a little box, but we open our lives up to God and we say, oh, I want to be filled with all of the fullness of God. That's it, my people. That's it. The Pharisees weren't interested in that. All they wanted was the altar. All they wanted was the priesthood. All they wanted was the labor. All they wanted was formality and ritual and tradition. They didn't want the new and the living way. And my dear people, the Lord Jesus just didn't die on a cross to take away your sin. The reason why the Lord Jesus died on a cross, why that is part of it, he wanted you. He wanted you. I think that's wonderful. I think that's wonderful that I, I can get into the presence of God and say, Lord, you didn't really want my sin. You put them into the sea of your forgetfulness. And an old man who listened to him during the week, he said, whenever I got saved, God put my sins into the depths of the sea and he put a, a notice board up on the side of the shore. No more fishing. No more fishing. Don't go fishing for the past failures. Don't go fishing for the past sins. Leave them in the hand of God. They're under the blood, thank God. But oh, my dear people, he died to get you. He wanted you. He wanted to redeem you back to himself. He wanted to bring you into his family. He wanted to cherish you. He wanted to get to know you. He wanted you to get to know him. Oh, I wonder how many of us are there. That's the coat. And then there's the container. And he said in verse 37, as we come to a close, And no man putteth new wine into old bottles. Else the new wine will burst the bottles and be spilled, and the bottles will perish. But new wine must be put into new bottles, and both are preserved. And the Lord Jesus turns from the picture of the old coat, and he brings them to an old bottle. And the word here is really a wineskin. It's whenever they got a lamb or a goat, and they, they took the hide, and they tied up where the legs and the neck was, and where the tail was, and it became a container. It became a leather bottle where they could put water and wine in. And the Lord Jesus said, you know, no man puts new wine into old bottles. The old bottle, you know what happened to it? The old leather, it became hard. It became resistant. It became brittle. There was no expansion. There was no ability to stretch. Oh, it became cold, easy to crack, liable to burst at any moment. And the Lord Jesus said, you know, that's exactly how you and I can be. We can settle down in our Christian life. And it used to be new, but it's lost the expansion power now. My, the first day that it was made, it was new leather, and they put the new wine in, and what would happen? The wine would ferment. And the gases would come, and the leather would stretch with the fermenting wine. It wouldn't burst, it wouldn't break, it was able to contain it. And whenever the, the wine expanded, the vessel expanded with it. But the older it got, the more brittle it became. The older it got, the more resistant and the harder it became. There was no flexibility in it. Some of you men, did you ever use a bungee strap in the tiller and the elastic wasn't working? You throw it in the bin. It's no good. It'll only come slack in the tiller and what'll happen? You need to have a, a bungee strap there with a bit of elastic in it. It needs to stretch. My dear people, there's a wonderful application as we come to a close this morning. Always leave room for God in your life. Always leave room for God in your life. You see, as we get older, 
And as we walk with God, you know what happens? We're liable to become set on our ways. We're liable to have a preconception of our mind in God, of God, and we can put God into theological boxes. Now, I believe in the Word of God. I believe that God will do nothing contrary to the Scriptures. I believe that with all of my heart. I believe that God in the written Word has revealed to us what He can do and what He will do. I know that God will never do anything contrary to the Word. But so many of us, we can have preconceived ideas in our heart. And whenever we were saved, we were willing to expand with God. We were able to stretch. God was able to mold us. He was able to my use us in ways that maybe even today we're not willing for God to use us. Whenever I was at the plumbing, we used to put an old thing on the side of the, the boiler house there. It's called an expansion vessel. And whenever the water would get warmer... Instead of blowing the gable, house of the gable wall of the house down, the pipes, they couldn't expand, but the expansion vessel, it took the, it took the pressure. Whenever the water heated up, it expanded. And my dear people, that's exactly what God wants to do in all of our lives. To expand in our capacity with God. That you and I would be stretched, as it were. That you and I would be men and women that would really be able to flex with God. That there would be that elastic in our life. You see, the Pharisees didn't have that. They had their perimeters. They had their boundaries. They said, God, you can do this, but you can't do that. And it says in Psalm 78 that they limited the Holy One of Israel. They tied him up in a theological box. Theological boxes that they had made themselves outside the Word of God. Now, I know that's not a problem here because I know you dear people hold the word of God. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is this, God wants to do so much with us. God wants to stretch us and expand us. And we can be tied down denominationally, we can be tied down traditionally, and even personally we can have boundaries and perimeters in our lives that God would love to break through and use us, but we won't allow him to do that. The application is this. Paul said in 2 Timothy, he said that we're to be vessels sanctified unto honor and meet for the master's use and prepared for every good work. Whenever Paul was saved on the Damascus road and Ananias was in his house praying, the Lord appeared to Ananias and said, Paul, I've saved him. He's a chosen vessel. I want to use him. I want to expand him. And my dear people, this morning, you're no different. Whenever God saved you, he chose you. He has a purpose for you, whether you're a mother, whether you're a housewife, whether you're a farmer or a builder or a preacher, whatever you may be, God has chosen you to be a vessel for himself. The thing about Paul was God could stretch him. God could use him. You remember the old Gibeonites, whenever Joshua... Whenever Joshua and Joshua 9 was waiting before the Lord and the Gibeonites came, you know what they had? They'd old out-of-date bread. And they'd old fusty bottles. I tell you, the prayer of my heart was during the week, Lord, I don't want to be a Gibeonite Christian. I don't want to have out-of-date bread, Lord. I don't want to have an old stale Christian walk with God. I don't want to be an old bottle that has lost its usefulness. Because mind you, my dear people, it's possible to lose your usefulness for God. You say to me, Stephen, prove that. You remember whenever the Lord Jesus talked about the salt? And he says, whenever salt loses its savor, he said it is good for nothing but to be cast on the ground. 
I tell you, my dear people, I trust that every one of us as believers will never come into the place where God will have to say he's good for nothing. What an awful thing. But I can use him. I can get my hand upon him. I can stretch him. He's able to move. He's pliable. And the new wine speaks of the Holy Spirit. And I'm closing now. Time has beat me. I have so much to tell you this morning. But that old clock, I'd love to blow it off the wall. I have so much to tell you that God has laid in my own heart that God wants to do with us. Inside the perimeter of his word, yes, absolutely. But that still leaves a lot of room for God to move. You know, in Ephesians chapter 5, whenever Paul talked about being filled with the Spirit, first of all, in Ephesians 5 and 18, he says, be not drunk with wine, and I trust you don't drink it. I trust that you're not a secret drinker. And then he said, be not drunk with wine, where is is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, to be controlled with the Spirit. Why did he do that? Well, the reason why he did that, because there's a similarity between a drunk man and a man filled with the Holy Ghost. You take the most reformed man in this church, I don't know who you'd be, a quiet man. And if you've seen him down the town with a bit of alcohol in him, I tell you, he's the same man, but he's liberated. There's something changed. He'll act different. He'll walk different. He'll stagger down the road. He'll sing and he'll give away his money. He'll even smell different. There'll be a different aroma from him. My dear people, that's exactly what Paul said about a spiritful life. They'll be different people. They'll be endued with a new power. They'll, they'll have a new aroma, the aroma of the Lord Jesus. They'll walk in the newness of life. They'll have a new song. They'll have a new animating power in their life. Oh, my dear people, as I'm preaching this morning, some of you, are, you look at me as if you're confused. Maybe not, that's not your Christian experience. I don't know. But that's what the Bible wants us to have. <laughs> be not drunk with wine, we're in his excess, but be filled, continually filled with the Spirit to be a new man or woman, to be acting in a new way, to walk in a new walk, to talk with a new talk, to look in a new way. Where people say, oh, there's a touch of God upon that man. That man sounds different. There's a, there's a sense of God about that person. Whenever they come to work, I can sense God. I can sense another world. Oh, my dear people, that's it. <laughs> that's it. But the old bottles, they couldn't do that. They were hard. The new wine couldn't go into them. And the prayer of Jabez was, Oh, that thou would bless me indeed and enlarge, enlarge me, Lord. Stretch me. Stretch me, Lord. I want to be the new wineskin, Lord. I want you to stretch my capacity for God. Oh, I pray, Lord, that you will stretch me. Stretch me, Lord. I want you to enlarge my spiritual ability. I want, Lord, you to reveal yourself to me in a way that hitherto I don't know you. I want you to come, Lord. I want you to take new areas of my life. I want you, Lord, to come and fill me and animate me and use me. Oh, that's it. You see, there was those vessels that were available But he wanted vessels to be usable. And then he wanted vessels to be stretchable. I have many more things to tell you, but I can't do it. Come back some other time and I'll maybe talk to you about them. But to enlarge yourself with God. Lord, I want you to so pour into my life, Lord. I don't want you to patch up my old man. I want you to make me a new. God's not in the patching up business. God wants to make us new creatures in Christ Jesus. God's not in the business of filling old bottles with new wine. He wants the new bottles and then there's a new wine. 
And as I was saying to the young people on Friday night past, the Dead Sea, the reason why it's called the Dead Sea is because all the rivers go into it, but there's no rivers go out of it. The Jordan River runs into it. And all the other little tributaries that run into the Dead Sea, they all run in, but there's no outflow. And my dear people, so many of us in the evangelical church are like that. How many messages do we hear in a month? 16 sermons a month come out of this house. 16 sermons a month. Think of all the sermons that we've heard since we're saved. And all is going in and in and in. More information. More verses of scripture. More truth. And that's a wonderful thing. But so many of us, there's no outflow. And then we become stagnant and we gather around the table and we can't even say amen and we can't even sing a hymn. You see, the Lord Jesus said in John 7, oh, I'm going to close now. He says, he that believeth in thee, into his belly shall flow rivers. No, no, it doesn't say that. He says, he that believeth in me, out of his belly. An outflow. <laughs> My, the Holy Spirit that comes in will go out and he'll touch the dying world. That his love will flow through you. That his power, that his grace, that his animating presence will radiate from us and touch our families and our communities. And men and women will know that God has done a real work in our life. Out of their belly shall flow rivers, not just trickles, not just little drops, not just a little drip, not even a pool or a well or a stream, but rivers, the word is a deluge of living water. Oh, my dear people, give it to us, Lord, give it to us. Oh, I wonder, is that the Christianity that you want? I wonder, is that it? I wonder, are you happy with what you have? Or would you say, Lord, make me a new patch? Make me a new Lord. And the Lord says, I will make you a new threshing instrument. Make me a new wineskin, Lord, that can stretch. Lord, I want to give you room in my life, Lord. I want to let down the little preconceived ideas that I have outside the Word of God. I want to let down your boundaries, Lord, and I want God to be God. I want you to come. Lord, time is so short. The judgment seat is not far away. I want to be the Christian you want me to be. I tell you, that's it. I'll read this poem and then we're going to sing a hymn and you've listened so well. And when I stand at the judgment seat of Christ and he shows me his plan for me, the plan of my life as it might have been, could he have his way with me? How I blocked him here and I checked him there and I would not yield my will. Will there be grief in my Saviour's eyes, grief though he love me still? He would have me rich and I stand here poor, stripped of all but his grace, while my memory runs like a haunted thing down the past that I can no longer retrace. Then my desolate heart will well nigh break with tears that I cannot shed. Oh, I'll cover my face with my empty hands and I will bow my uncrowned head Lord, to the years, days, weeks, months, seconds that are left to me, I give them to thy hand. Take me and break me and mold me to the pattern thou hast planned. Lord, make me a new wineskin. Lord, do something new. Do something new, Lord. Behold, I will do a new thing. It's not just for revival. It's for the personal walk with God. I will do a new thing.
And I trust even this morning that is the language and that is the vocabulary of your heart. 